I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Jocelyn Arnold. Thank you so much for joining us, Jocelyn. Thank you. It's great to be here. So can you start off by telling us about who you are? Oh, oh that's a small little question. <laughs> uh, I am a 50-year-old Black woman, a um, 50-year-old Black girl, I like to say. Um, my name's Jocelyn Jones Arnold. I live in Mount Airy. I work for the city of Philadelphia. Um, I was raised by a mental health administrator and a social worker slash nurse. Um, I think that's interesting and says a lot about me because those are the areas that I've gravitated towards later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, And the things that I kind of ignored or ran away from earlier in life, it's like, you know, you can't get away from like what's in your DNA. Um, And that's kind of the energy that I have. I'm I am the kind of person you would want as a neighbor and a friend because I I feel like I was raised and grew up in a community that was where thinking about others was the default, you know, mm. before yourself. So, wow, that's rare. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is rare and it's and it's so funny because it's like I'm I'm talking about it like I'm saying like I am the greatest person on the planet. I'm not saying it like that. Mm-hmm. But quite honestly, with COVID and, you know, the, the summer going ha- as it has or 2020 going as it has, being at home, going through all this, going through these emotions and having this isolation for me has been an intense time of reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thought about that's why when you ask, who am I? I have been asking myself, who am I? You know, where am I in the world? What am I doing in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, what mark am I leaving? And is it right? Do I need to correct? You know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so in that is where I'm thinking, am I a good person? Do I think about people? And the interactions I've had with friends and people that I've interacted with for a long time, I feel like I'm coming at them from a more kind of pure I don't know, like filter or something like Mm. I'm seeing them for what they are and I'm finding a lot of commonality and a lot of, you know, friends and people that I, you know, have surrounded myself with Mm. are also going through a hard time and are struggling right now. And I believe that that means they are more in tune with their human side Mm -hmm. um, and, and less about themselves and, you know, what's, going to happen to me personally, but more bothered by this is really hard and people are having a hard time right now. And this is, you know, Mm -hmm. and the people that aren't that way, I cut out. I've, I don't have energy. I'm trying to make whatever I do, create positive energy that can then be, I don't know, I'm rambling on and <laughs> I okay. apologize. <laughs> no, so all of these things tie into who we are, right? Exactly. So, and that was know, a big ass question. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds like you you have a really solid understanding and are confident about parts of who you are, but then you've also been able to kind of delve into more self-discovery to uncover other parts of who you are. And also who we are is connected to um our relationships with other people. So you are right exactly. on topic. So tell us about what you do. 
Um, so that's, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm finding such depth in every question and the question is so broad, but it's moving me. I love it. What do I do? Um, this is another thing that I've been thinking a lot about. Um, I actually, I feel like I do what I love, which is really weird because I never believed in that. Mm. Um, and, and when I say that, I mean that I am getting paid to do something that is personally significant to me. Mm. Um, and that is very rare. Um, and it's very, I'm trying to think of what the word is because I, I think even the people that I work with don't understand how seriously I take my job. So I work for the city of Philadelphia. I am mm-hmm. in the office of grants and community partnerships. And I have to say, I'm really proud of that name because that's what we do. We try to bring grants and, you know, investment into the, anything that benefits Philadelphians. Um, and we also want know that things that benefit Philadelphians can be in partnership. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to be for resources. And so my job at work is, and, and the, the function of the office is really to sort of match the need with the resources in mm. order to really, as I said, sort of to help benefit all Philadelphians, mm. all of them equally. And, and whatever that is, you know, as long as it is for the good then it's a good connection. Then I feel good about putting two people in touch or recommending that they partner. If I believe and feel genuinely that somehow kids in Philadelphia will benefit from it, you know, people living in poverty will be able to benefit, whatever it is that just, you know, adds to the the greater good Mm -hmm. um, is what we, is what we really support and build out. So Mm. and that, and again, for me, I, I talk about this at home. <laughs> I talk about it on Saturday, unfortunately. I talk about it on like it's something that it's like I can't turn it off. Mm. And and I'll I'll give you just an example, just because you said what do I do? And this is kind of a, an example of what I literally do at work or at home. Part of uh, of um, the the work that I've been doing over the past year for the city has been uh, around racial equity mm. um, and talking about disparities and outcomes. And we all know the stats, it's all there. Everyone can Google it. Um, but we had a conversation about it at work and I was asked to participate and spend time helping, you know, work on the city's equity plan. Mm. From the beginning, I was very clear about saying, I'm very excited about this. This is personally important to me. Mm -hmm. But first things first, we need to think about the way we talk about this work. Mm -hmm. Like we can't go into this talking about it like it's a mayoral initiative because Mm -hmm. this is not, race is not a mayoral initiative by any way, shape or form. I mean, it's like, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with Paul. I mean, it's the basis of all that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to not respect that from the outset means you're not getting it. So from the very beginning, when I could feel that people wanted to do it just because it was the thing I felt that it was the thing to do, Hmm. uh, you know, it was an action that we needed to at least, you know, motion that we had to make to look like we were making this great investment. And for me, I I said to people, you know, 
this isn't about, you know, things that take place, you know, at lunchtime or, you know, issues that go away when you, you know, check out at 530. Mm-hmm. Like this is something I will be thinking about this on my way home from work right. while I'm making dinner and it'll probably keep me up at night. Right. And and we need to be real about that and the impact that race and our actions and the past and microaggressions and all this hurt and pain and trauma, we need to talk about it so we're all on the same page mm. to be able to then understand and get through it. Mm. Anyway, that's that's what I do. Is that what the question was? Yeah. So it sounds like your work is really comprehensive and you're kind of addressing a lot of different needs throughout the city with yes. a lot of different populations. Yes. Um, it sounds like you have connections with a lot of different types of people throughout the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. Definitely. And, and that's that's the key to um, to this is connections to people, networks and really building and supporting those networks. Mm-hmm. Um, back to the, the the question of who am I and, you know, me answering it, saying, talking about my parents and their sort of backgrounds in social work and mental health. That's, that's me as Jossie. That's, Mm -hmm. that's more than me as Jocelyn Arnold, deputy director. Like that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And that's what I say, like, that's who I am on a Saturday. That's who I am at 6.30 PM. You know what I mean? Connecting people. Whenever I meet people, you know, I, I just, I, I really enjoy interacting with people personally, professionally, whatever. In any way I interact with someone, I, I enjoy it. And I take something away from that, whether it is I never want to interact with that person again, <laughs> or, or it's like, yeah, wow, they're really cool. Like, I can't wait to see them again, or I'm glad I met them, or I feel better knowing they're around, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but, oh God, what was it again? What was the point again? See, I, I'm so excited to have this conversation. I'm like, where, where was I going again? I love people so much that I want to, I feel like in, in sharing the joy of appreciating people, I want them to understand how much I appreciate them by connecting them to others Okay, that I appreciate also. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like building this, like a network of like-minded people. Mm. And, and that's kind of what I feel is, I don't, through a lot of exploration again, um, over this summer, I have realized that trust is key in everything. Mm -hmm. And trust is not something that is easily gained. It's not easily earned. It's not something you can even like inherit, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's something that is not tangible. It's something you feel, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't even, you can't say you trust me. I need to feel that you trust me. Right. And I feel I feel like when I communicate, I communicate using my words and my emotions and how I feel. Mm-hmm. That's and and I think people get that. And I don't know how more genuine I could be than by being that way. And that's how I approach communicating with people and interacting with people. And just from you talking, you have so much enthusiasm and excitement about the work <laughs> that you do. Oh my god, I love it. So let's let's switch gears for a second. Of course. So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story and every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you have faced? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, 
I, I, you know, there's, as I said, there's life is a is a is a journey, mm-hmm. um, and there are absolutely adversities, a lot, um, and depending on the person, those can be big or small. I, I I'd say the the biggest, the first, um, I'll, all right, the 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 biggest most life changing thing well at 50 right now reflecting on my life adversity if if i were to to pin to point out a pivotal moment again you're getting me while i'm in this sort of like reflection moment which is why this is kind of hard to identify and also feel free to say that too yes. you know if you don't mm-hmm. and if you feel like things are too raw and overwhelming mm-hmm. you also you know it's your story Yes. No, no, no. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like it will all come out and there's a time for that. And it's not coming out, but it's just like you share, like you share parts of your story, or at least I do, because I want people to understand that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the biggest adversities uh, in my life that I faced, certainly the the first really major thing was losing my mother uh, from cancer at uh, when she was 59. And her diagnosis, actually, I would say, because that was really, it was the diagnosis that sort of caused the trauma mm. because that was the realization that, you know, life is not forever, mm-hmm. you know, that it really is a journey and it, and it's, and it's real. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, my mother was the most wonderful person ever. And that, mm very supportive and loving and uh, yeah. And to me, I feel like I, I feel guilt as her daughter now because I love her and appreciate her so much now, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, I don't feel like I showed it enough Mm -hmm. while she was here. So that's like a guilt I carry. I almost like every day, like Mm -hmm. it's almost like feeling guilty because I love you so much and I never got to, show this to you. Mm. Um, and just like being faced with her mortality was unbelievable to me, just having to be in that situation. Mm. And that really, that, I mean, that really could have started this sort of reflection and who am I and what am I doing and what does this mean? And, you know, what does life on this planet without my mother look like because yeah. like, I don't want to know and I never thought I ever would be in that situation mm. so and quite honestly going through that situation was incredibly painful I can't imagine and the the worst part is um so you know you go through diagnosis and for a year it's like you know surgery chemo all that horrible stuff but when it finally gets to the point where it's like, oh, there's no coming back mm. and you know it, that's the absolutely most excruciating part. And I described it like someone taking a piece of skin and pull it, like ripping your skin off. Mm. It is a constant pain and you have no idea when it's going to end. And you just want it to end, but you don't want it to end because you know what it means. But you're like, this is painful mm-hmm. and and torturous and cruel. Mm-hmm. And 
for me, when she did pass, I was at work. I remember very well. And my first thought was, um, like, because she, she died at home. And my first thought was, with you? I, no, I wasn't at home, but okay. she was. And I was, you know, preparing to rush home. And I was thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to see her like this. I don't, I can't, I can't do this, you know? And I uh, got into the house and my, the first people I saw were my brother and my dad. And the first thing I thought was, it's just us. Mm -hmm. Like we're all we have. And there was a pain and a beauty in that. And my mother was upstairs and I remember connecting to them sort of visually and running to my mother. Like I just had to, mm-hmm. for me, I, did, I thought I didn't want to see her. I didn't want, but I had to be there and I just sat with her mm-hmm. and it was, I, it was peaceful. It was peaceful. And, you know, at that point she doesn't look anything like my mom, mm-hmm. She's this very, very sick woman. Hmm. And you just want her to just be in peace and at rest and not to suffer. And that is what I grieved mm-hmm. at, you know, at first. But it didn't hit me till around November. My mother died August 25th. Okay. My birthday is December 2nd. And it, it, hit me around November, which was big in, in our house for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. My mom made the best sweet potato pie and carrot cakes and Thanksgiving dinners. Mm, you're making me hungry. <laughs> Fortunately, I did inherit the sweet potato pie thing, so I, I got that one down. I don't like I don't like corn, uh, carrot cake though. But anyway. Okay. Um and it hit me that where's my mom? Because all of a sudden I realized I was grieving and feel like feeling like I was working through the grief of that that cancer patient mom. Mm. And I didn't realize that that cancer patient mom was also the mom that raised me. Like she's gone too. That means if that person with cancer is here, then your mom's not here too. Mm. And then that was like being traumatized all over again. Yeah. And that reality of like, holy shit, that was my mom. Like my mom isn't here. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I, I don't feel grateful for that. I'm not, I don't want her to be in a better place like that. Like your better right. place is right here. Right. What, what are you talking about? And so that was like all over again. But again, the beauty is it's 22 years I don't even, whatever. It was 1997, 20, I don't even know how many, I can't count. And the fact that I lived through that, I can't believe that I am here 23 years later saying, talking about my mom in the past tense Mm -hmm. and not having hugged her in 23 years, not having seen her. Yeah. And the fact that I survived and I thrived is I'm proud of myself because I feel like I'm a good person Mm -hmm. and I feel like she did her job and my dad did his job. My dad died four years later. 
And that was when I was like, what the F? Because, mm. <laughs> you know, I, I people say with, you know, the black family that, you know, it's not you know, the, again, the default or the, uh, the, the narrative that's out there is that, you know, it's a broken, you know, oftentimes it's broken, mm-hmm. you know, one of the parents is, you know, away. And there was some of that separation. My father, we lived here, but he had a job in DC and he would come back and forth on the weekends. So he was constant in my life, but in the house, it was definitely my mother, you know, all the time. But I feel like at 50, to be able to reflect on them, they were both very as engaged as they could be being black professionals in the seventies, eighties in a, in a horribly racist America. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think they absolutely did their best. Um, and I feel like I want them to be proud of me and I feel like they are. And it's funny that I say that because I feel uncomfortable saying that, but it's more of a a tribute to them. Like, I feel like I am giving back as much as I can and really trying to help in general the world. Mm. And I think that they would really be happy to know that I am doing that and Mm. I'm doing it in my own goofy, jossy, stupid, can't shut the... (laughs) (laughs) But they know that I'm a little chatterbox and I'm doing it my own way. They know that I'm like, you know, my own person Mm -hmm. and I'm being true to myself, but being true to what is right. Mm. And uh, yeah, anyway, sorry. So that was the biggest adversity. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. From there, there, there's other things that, you know, have been annoying, that have been hard, that have been tough. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's what get you what you get through. I think people need to understand going through it is the hardest fucking thing you will ever do. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely critical. And you will feel so much better mm. when you get to the other side. You just need someone holding your hand. Why do we you all need someone to hold our hand? Why do you feel like it's it's critical to go through these things? Because because I'm telling you, me crying right now about my mother and my parents is not because I necessarily miss them. It's because I love them so much and I am working and I'm just grateful because the way the world goes, your parents, I mean, we all are here for a set amount of time. Nobody is going to be here forever. And quite honestly, who wants to be here forever? (laughs) And the way it should go is it's a cycle. Life is a cycle. It's a journey. We're on a journey, just like you're on a ride. You're, you're still moving, Mm -hmm. pay attention, be present and see what's happening. Because once you, once it passes, you're not going to be at that stop again. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? There's no turning back. There's no pause. Like, you have to just enjoy it. It's it's moving no matter what. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Having some control and saying, I can't change this, but I can change my response to whatever is happening. And I'm not going to let this kill me and take me down. Mm-hmm. And I have called upon, and this is the reflection that I've had this summer, called upon the strength of those that came before me 
because as I talk about my parents, like I know the difficulty I have in 2020 as a black woman working in local government um, and the, the multiple barriers and the misconceptions and the disrespect I receive daily from people who don't even realize probably what they're doing. But anyway, I can't even imagine what that would have been like in 1980 or 1970 or God forbid anything earlier than that. I wouldn't even want to be alive in the fifties mm-hmm. <laughs> or the forties. And my parents were, and that awareness of thinking they made it through, they made it through at a time when it was way friggin' worse, way worse. I've never been called the N word. Do you know that? Mm-hmm. I was just had this conversation with someone the other day and they were like, you know, I have a friend, she's African-American. She's never heard. Blo-. And I'm like, I'm 50. I've never been called that. Wow. I've heard N lover. I've heard that, mm-hmm. but I've never heard the N word to me. Mm-hmm. I've felt that I've been in rooms where I felt very unwelcome and very uncomfortable, but I've never heard the word, but I felt mm-hmm. it. And I feel it every freaking day. But anyway, knowing that right now, the moment we're in right now, 2020 is supposed to be when you look at race and strife and sort of, you know, discrimination, we're supposed to be at the time when it was at its best, at its best. We're at our most evolved and it's horrible mm-hmm. and it's not great. And it's, I, and sometimes I think is, is this more painful now because of the shame of the fact that it should be better and it's mm-hmm. not or is it disrespectful now because everybody knows that race is a thing, that discrimination is a thing, that this is real. It's all been proven. We've seen the multiple clips. What are you going to do about right. it? That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Now you've seen it. What are you going to do about it? Because that's my problem. That's why I'm crazy and foggy and can't think and can't speak and can't get a thought because I know what I'm doing about mm-hmm. it. And I'm sitting here thinking, why is nobody else jumping to this and feeling the urgency and responding now in the same mm-hmm. way? And and so with that, I'm like, I might as well be in 1860. Mm-hmm. I might as well be, you know, enslaved because in a way I am. Because you're telling me I'm free and I'm not free. And you won't even let you you're not even open to have the conversation about what freedom mm-hmm. is. I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm getting, I'm getting into it, but this is what I, that this is the, the dilemma or the, the trauma <laughs> I'm working through right mm-hmm. now is the trauma of humanity. Cause we're, we're screwed up. We're off. We went off somewhere and, and we need to get back on track. And I feel whatever I can do, I'm just going to try to get people to be aware of that and to understand that I'm going to hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold you accountable for being a, a good person. And you know what? Together, I feel like what I want to spend my next 50 years doing is I'd like us to all come together and think about what it means to be a good person mm-hmm. anyway. So can you share a few important positive moments no. or turning points? You really want me to keep talking? <laughs> Silly. Well, I'm hoping we can. Yeah, yeah. So you have you have detailed some of the pain that you've been through and some of the frustration. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also really helpful for us to highlight positive moments or turning points. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yes. And I will say that, you know, while I, as I said, I like to talk about this a lot and I do talk about this a lot and I was a philosophy major. Um, so I philosophize, I guess, but quite honestly, it's, it's a process. And I think for me, positivity, I want it to be contagious. I, I feel like the biggest sort of uh, transformation for me is realizing that I am a positive person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the biggest pessimist realized that actually she is positive mm-hmm. and that maybe, you know, her own, you know, sort of negative feelings or her own issues or whatever, maybe she caused the pessimism mm-hmm. instead of, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And so in that, just opening myself up to the possibility feels freeing. And in this COVID reality, with all that's been revealed, it's forcing a lot of people to go through it. And it's really, really hard. Yeah. And I am forcing myself to go through it. And I feel like I genuinely am coming out of it now. And that is the positivity. And that is the beauty but people need to understand you have to just accept that this is you have to trust that what people are saying is true. And therefore, if racism does exist, if discrimination does all that stuff, what does that mean for you and how you are currently navigating through this world? And how do you how does that how do you feel about how well you've done so mm-hmm. far? So where do you see yourself in the future? Um, I, I see myself in the future leaning into my creativity. Mm. <laughs> um, I feel like I, I've always been an artistic spirit, but my art, I don't, I don't know. I've never known what my medium was, I guess, or, or what my sort of primary, you know, artistic outlet was. Mm. And I want to find it. And, and I feel like it's there and I need to pursue it. And, and, and I feel also that there's a way to express my creativity while also sort of, you know, staying true to my social worker, mental health kind of DNA Mm. Um, and just talking about wellness and self-care and looking out for yourself Mm -hmm. and the creative ways to do that, I guess. Um, and that is why I think I gravitated towards you. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> quite honestly, you know, talking to you and being aware of, you know, art and the and the role that making art and creating pieces and, you know, sort of voicing your experience and your journey and how the 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 peace and the joy that you get from mm-hmm. that that process I love and and that the healing in that is what I want everybody to have access mm. to access you know so yeah that that that's what I think and and I I know I am absolutely committed to ensuring I feel like I've been I've focused or I've I've thought a lot about what my legacy is. I don't have children. 
Um, and uh, my brother doesn't have kids. And I think about like, you know, what all of this generational energy and all of this leads mm -hmm. to like, what, how will we all be remembered? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I feel like there is a story in my, in my journey as a black woman, just basically in being here right now. I want to elevate the voices and the stories and the experiences of those that came before me because that is that has been the greatest source of love, inspiration, and resilience that has kept me alive this summer and and is keeping me alive now. Sorry, my husband just walked in. That just scared me. Um, because their stories of strength and what they went through um, are uh, impressive. It's inspirational. I mean, even if it's if it's not for other people, it is for me. Mm -hmm. And therefore, that makes me a better person because I am so enriched and proud of the history that my own personal history. But it's one that I had to find for myself. And I want to help other people of color, especially black people, connect to a part of their history that they didn't know before mm. that will help them understand their importance, their value, that they came from somewhere, from something, that they didn't just sprout on this planet out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Like there's a history, a richness, a love that you need to get connected to or not need to that you can get connect get connected to that anyone can i didn't even realize until i sort of really delved more into this ancestry um sort of you know quest passion whatever i'm i'm doing right now and this discovery of my of where i came from to find that that is my joy that is my joy and I want more of that. I want to, I want more discoveries. I want to represent them. I want to respect them and, you know, do best by them as I can. So that's a big vision. Hopefully that's what I'm doing. It is, but you know what? I also feel like I can do mm -hmm. it. And that's weird. Cause again, that's my optimism. I'm not usually like that. And, and I'm going to also, I, I believe words, you know, matter. And I am, Again, to be more optimistic, I'm changing the way I say things. I'm going to do it. I'm going to represent them. I'm going to honor them. And I'm going to do it in a way that's authentic to me and my journey, mm -hmm. but is also, you know, not about me. It's about just sort of making it right for African-Americans, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. For, a, for American descendants of slaves, that's what we are. I can't wait to see how um, things evolve and progress and grow and how you're going to be able to realize your vision. I can't wait either. And I know you'll be with me every step of the way. At least you will in spirit. <laughs> yes. So are there <laughs> any favorite life-changing resources that you want to share? You. Yours. Anything you do. Aww. And I and I honestly, I say that like... In, in, in all honesty, um, I, I have, I've sent many, referred many a people to your website. And as you may know, because you probably have a lot of empty cardboard boxes in your 
studio or whatever, I have a lot of your materials in my office, or I had at one point and given a lot of them away. You, I think that you and your work and what you are doing is key to everything I'm trying to do. And I feel like I caught that, you know, like I said, the moment I met you, I didn't know what it was or, or how it worked or anything like that. I just knew you had it. And I knew I wanted to learn more and I knew that this was the value was, yeah, it was need and meeting a need that people anyway. So you are the resource. I appreciate you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Another resource I would, I would say just as a a resource is um, the regional as the regional foundation center and um, the free library, Philadelphia. And it sounds weird saying that, but they have access to so much that is free um, and resources that can be for self-care, that can be for your entertainment, that can be for your personal development, free, free classes. You know, next week, a friend of mine is going to be leading a workshop about appeal letters. For those of you who are trying to raise money to do your work in the nonprofit world or whatever you're doing, it's a free resource. You can... If you can get to a computer, he's very funny. He's very animated. I taught him all he knew, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it's worthwhile. So I think the, um, I, I would really say pay attention to the Regional Foundation Center, okay. um, and the Business Innovation Resource Center, the BRIC, which is for like small businesses and entrepreneurs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I mean, access, yeah. Basically, yeah. That's All right. It. <laughs> I can't think of anything else, but yeah. and is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? Um, it's 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 gonna be okay. Find someone or something to hold your hand, to hold on to. Find something positive, hopeful, encouraging to get you through the rest of this year. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corrado, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there's always a story of strength and resilience.